natural order of things, nothing happens significantly without taking risks. I'm going to give you a couple other examples real quick. I'm so organized, it's scary. <laughs> Somebody's messing with me. Listen to this. Quote, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. That was a quote from Western Union in 1876. Listen to this. In 1920s, uh, David Sarnoff's associates in response to his urgings for investment in this device says this. The wi- this wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? Talking about this new invention called the radio. Uh, listen to this. H.M. Warner from Warner Brothers in 1927 says, Who the heck wants to hear actors talk? And one of my favorite is, um, is this quote. A cookie store is a bad idea. Besides, the market research reports says that America likes crispy cookies, not soft and chewy cookies like you have made. That is in response to Debbie Fields and her idea of starting Mrs. Fields Cookies, uh, who now has 390 locations in the United States and 80 locations worldwide. And this is what Mrs. Fields said. The important thing is not being afraid to take a chance. Remember, the greatest failure is not to try. Once you find something you love to do, be the best at doing it. They called her crazy. So in the natural order of things, great things never happen unless somebody dares to take a risk. Unless somebody dares to step out and possibly look like a fool. Even to the point of maybe being considered stupid, insane, crazy, maybe even lose friends, family members, respect, position, maybe lose your fortune stepping out and trying to do something crazy. But here's what I want to say. If these people were willing to risk their reputations, like this guy stepping out to sing this this opera song when nobody obviously believed that he was going to be anything including himself, risking their wealth, their positions, their potential colossal failure in the hopes of making a difference in this life, shouldn't we, as dedicated followers of Christ, risk the same for the advancement of His kingdom? Let me say something to you men on this Father's Day. Statistics show that the number one emotion and experience that men have in Christendom is boredom. The women, when they were interviewed, they are worn out. Really, that's that's the result. Most women are serving so much they are tired, but men are bored. Let me say something to you, men. If you're bored, it's not God's fault. If you're bored, it's because you are not taking risks for God. Are you doing what He has revealed for you to do? Are you reaching to become what God has called you to become? Are you like Christ? Are you reaching the world for Him? Are you giving the way He has said to give? Taking risks financially? 
Are you praying the way he has said to pray? Are you reaching out and praying for sick people at work the way God has said to go, bring my kingdom, preach the gospel to everybody? Are you doing the things that God has called you to do? I guarantee you God is wanting to have you take risks in his name. Look at uh, this passage. Let's jump into the PowerPoint here. I was lying on my bed a few weeks ago. This is how I got this message. By the way, I want to stop here just for a second. Let's, let's go back for a second. Go back to the uh, original slide. I want to say something, Gina, to you. Don't mean to embarrass you. As I was sitting here and uh, Gary was praying for you, I felt that I had a, a prophetic word for you. Now, for those of you that don't know what that is, that's God will say something spontaneously to somebody at any time that he wants to. I think it's amazing when people say, you say God talks to you. You're crazy. I say, God doesn't talk to you. What dad doesn't talk to his children? And so in this church, we believe God's still talking. And prophecy or a word of knowledge or is a gift in the Bible, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural endowment God just does spontaneously. And uh, I don't know if this is going to hit or not. But I believe that God was talking to me about you being incredibly creative. And I don't know that about you. I, I don't know your gift mix real well. But he was saying, I believe that you're creative, like in the arts. And I don't know that about you, but... But I think that's something you really need to tap into and pursue and maybe take some courses as you go off to college. Take some courses in the area of creative arts. Does that connect with you at all? Uh, say, say that again. You've been told that by three other people in the last four months. Look at that. Is that awesome? You say you can go ahead and clap. I mean, that's cool. I mean, come on. I mean, think about it. You go to a career counselor and it could take you months. You have to go through all these gift tests and you have to do the natural order of things, which is important. Or you just get a word from God. So be happy for her. I'm sorry it didn't happen to you. Run with it, baby. Forget these people. Okay. So I was lying on my bed a few weeks ago and I said, God, how does your kingdom advance? And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me one word and he said, risk. God's kingdom advances through risk. Look at this verse that Jesus gave. This is our memory verse for the week. Jesus says, blessed, happy, prosperous is what that word means. Successful are those who are persecuted, made fun of, laughed at, laughed at, mocked, even killed for righteousness sake or for advancing the kingdom of God, doing what's right in God's sight. Not what's right in our sight or man's sight, but in God's sight. When God calls you to do something and you're persecuted for it, blessed are you for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, whenever you step out on something God has told you to step out on, even in the face of fear, even when it seems irrational, if God has called you to do it, you step out and do it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has become yours. In other words, a part of heaven is manifesting now in your life that didn't manifest before. Like this, when Jesus said to one of his friends, Peter, who was in a boat, he was a fisherman, and Jesus said, come. Where? I mean, here's Jesus standing on water. Now, for those of you that don't believe this really happened, it's just historical, you've got to start believing someday. Or heaven's never going to break into your life. 
I like what one critic said. He's on, he was on a talk show with another Christian theologian. And the, the critic said, now the Red Sea, give me a break. Listen, I know for a fact that during certain seasons, uh, uh, that, that, that place where Moses was, and, and in certain seasons, it's only about four inches of water going through that passageway. And the theologian said, well, that's even a greater miracle that God could drown the entire Egyptian army in four inches of water. You see, it depends on how you're looking at life. Is it a God view or is it your view? And so you've got to become a believer to see God begin to break in. So here's Jesus standing on water and here's Peter in a boat with all of his friends. Now, they've been fishermen their entire adult life. And they know that it's not safe to get out of the boat and, 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 and stand on water. And yet, God spoke to him and said, come. And Peter took a risk. And we're still talking about it today. Wow! Peter got out of the boat. And most people focus on the fact that he started looking at the winds and the rain and started sinking. I like the fact that he walked on water. Have you walked on water? And he was just a man. Just a man. He didn't walk on water because he was more special than you. He walked on water because... The Word of God came to him and he obeyed it. And he did something supernatural. You know Jesus was proud of him. And I want God to be proud of this church. I want him to see a church that's willing to take a chance in his name for the advancement of his kingdom. Oh. Wow, we eat that one out, didn't we? <laughs> I'm being upstaged by the opera singer so far, but I'm going to keep giving this a shot. When you risk, you are on unfamiliar ground, uncharted territory with a definite chance of failure. And some of you just aren't willing to experience failure. And if you're not, you will never experience God. Nearly the way he wants you to experience him. You've got to do trial and error with God. This is the way I like to say it. Unless you experiment with God, you're not going to experience God. Christianity is not some sterile, isolated, safe environment. Advancing the kingdom of God is dangerous. But how else would you rather go? Listen, men, on Father's Day, you know, I wanted to bring a Father's Day message, but our church has got momentum right now, and God is downloading revelation to us. And just like I ran over Mother's Day, I'm running over Father's Day. And and I did my best to tie mothers into that Mother's Day message, and I'm going to do my best to tie fathers into this Father's Day message. And that is risk-taking. Listen, men, if you're bored, it's your fault in the kingdom of God. It's not God's fault. God is calling you to walk on water. Get out of your secure, safe zone and start doing some radical things in the name of God. Here's one of my favorite people. Look at the Apostle Paul. Paul was safe. Paul was a Pharisee. He was, he was at the top of the religious order. He had his robes. He had his prestige. He had his position. He had his power. He had people respecting him. He was a teacher of the Bible. And then Jesus showed up. 
and said, Paul, I'm giving you a choice. Come follow me and live a radical life and you will be martyred. You'll end up being murdered for me. Or you can just keep on doing what you're doing, which is persecuting the church. And so Paul chose to follow Jesus. And you read the book of Acts. It's the actions of the apostles or the Holy Spirit working with the apostles. It's a history book that shows what that early church looked like. And it's exactly the way we're supposed to look in San Diego. Now, having said that, this next passage is going to freak you out. But just uh, measure it. Let's look at this next passage. The then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Where? Came to the city that he was in in Lystra. Now listen, Paul was, was stepping out for God. God said to Paul and Barnabas, they were in a nice church down in Antioch. They were minding their own business, teaching the Bible. And the Holy Spirit prophetically spoke in a prayer meeting one time where they were praying and worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the calling I have on their life. And they sent them out to, to where they'd never been before to go preach the gospel to people who had never heard it before. And he goes into Iconium and he gets kicked out. He was in Antioch and he got kicked out. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Now what happened here was he was in the city and he preached and got kicked out. He was in the city, he preached and got kicked out. He was in the city and there was a guy who was lame from birth. He had not walked ever. And Paul said, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and he starts walking. And so all the people came out and started worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They're saying the gods have come down from heaven and they're calling Paul Apollos and they're calling Barnabas Zeus and they're sacrificing animals to him. And Paul says, stop it. Don't do that. We're just men just like you. And I want to say that to you today. Paul and Barnabas were just human beings like you and I. And they are dead and gone. But we are here. And we're walking with the same God, the same Holy Spirit, and the same mission they had when they lived on this planet. Now, we can get there from here, but we got to be stretching and reaching and say it, risking. If you're afraid to look like a fool for Christ, you will never see supernatural things happen in your life. I love this guy. Watch what he does. They dragged him out of the city and stoned him, supposing him to be dead. Now, could you imagine what he looked like? They supposed he was dead. They were good at stoning. This wasn't like their first time. <laughs> they beat the guy with rocks upside his head. Could you imagine what's blood, what he looked like? And they looked at him and said, he's dead. And they dragged him out of the city and threw him out of the city. But then the church, the people of God, his little band of disciples, gathered around him. What were they doing? Singing hymns. Oh, Paul was a great man, but now he is dead. No. What did they say? When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. They raised him from the dead. Probably. If not, they supposed him to be dead. It's good enough for me. I mean, near dead or dead. He didn't go through a nine-month recovery and have pins put in his body. and re- He... You just read over this stuff in the Bible. Oh, yeah, they had stoned him, then they threw him out. They thought he was dead. The disciples came around, then he got up. They said, Stop! This is a miracle. But what he did next is what catches my attention. 
And he went back into the city. It's like, come on, is that all you got? <laughs> you know, I'm like, Could you imagine the people who had stoned him, seeing him come back into the city? And I don't know if he looked like Rocky Balboa at the end of Rocky, you know, four or five or not. Probably not. I don't know. I mean, he, they thought he was dead because he was bleeding so bad. Rocks in his head. And then they raise him up. I'm assuming if they raised him up, if God raised him up, he probably also healed his body. And here he comes walking back into the city. Or it could have been cooler if he still had some of the bruises and the beatings and he's walking into the city. I don't know. Kind of like Jonah. Like after he gets vomited up, after being in the belly of a whale for three days, and he's, the acid has burnt him completely white and his hair is all kind of, you know, burnt white. And he's, you know, and he walks into the city and says, repent. Well, wouldn't you? Maybe God set him, maybe God set that whole thing up on purpose so they, they would repent when they saw him. What a risk he took. Went right back into the same city. And the next day he departed with Bartimaeus to Derby. That's another city. And when they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra where he got stoned. And to Iconium, where he got thrown out, and to Antioch, where he got thrown out, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, duh, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. In other words, if you think advancing the kingdom is safe, you are dead wrong. If you truly become a kingdom advancer, where you work, where you play, where you live, if you're going to be a kingdom advancer, you're going to be a risk taker, and you're going to see supernatural things happen in your life. And it's going to cost you. If you're not willing to lose things in this life for God, you will not be a kingdom advancer. But I'm going to tell you something. The payoff is huge. You get to experience more of the presence of God. You get to experience more of the favor of God. You get to experience more of the power of God. And listen, when you get to heaven, you get to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want us to uh, look at this next passage where Jesus clearly teaches a parable on this concept. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. You see that right in the first sentence, for the kingdom of heaven? He's talking about kingdom come. He's talking about God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable terms in the Bible. He's not talking about the kingdom of heaven off in heaven somewhere, way up there. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven in the earth. It manifesting, showing up in your classroom, at school, or in your office, at work, or in your home where you live. He's talking about it manifesting here in this church. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven showing up in the earth like when Jesus lived and he healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead. And he said, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. It's touched you. And he says, we are his people. We are supposed to be bringing the kingdom to San Diego or wherever you go. Airport terminals or on buses or wherever you go. You're supposed to be your kingdom carrier, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven traveling through the earth until dad calls you home. No wonder church is boring for most people. Because this, the kingdom, isn't maybe being preached and challenging you to be a kingdom carrier. Doesn't that sound a little more exciting than coming to church, 
singing a few songs, hearing a sermon, and then going home and doing what you really want to be doing? Oh, be honest. No lying in church. It's a sin. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country that, okay, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Can you see where we belong in here? Jesus travels here to the earth, delivers his goods to you and I. His name with all authority, his spirit, his mission, his giftings, the gift of healing, the working of miracles, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, gift of love, compassion, mercy. He gives us his goods. His supernatural abilities. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So he went back to heaven. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I took a risk, if I can put that into the text, because that was what this whole parable is about, is risk-taking to advance the kingdom of God. I took your five talents and gained five more talents besides them by trading His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He got to experience the pleasure of God, the happiness of God. Jesus, Jesus's joy being so happy that you took what I gave to you and you stepped out and you traded the talents I gave you in the marketplace. You could have lost it all. But Jesus isn't excited about, I don't believe, that more excited about the fact that he got five more talents back. I think he's excited that the guy stepped out and attempted to advance the kingdom of God with what God had put into his hands. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Risk takers. Remember, God spoke this to me a few weeks ago, lying on my bed when I asked him the question, what advances your kingdom? And he said, risk. Jesus liked this guy and commended him because he was a risk taker. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. In other words, people who will not take risks, who miss out on opportunities, who never go, no, never go anywhere in life, are always blaming somebody else for their present condition of A lack of productivity. The book of Proverbs says the lazy man says, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. What does that mean? The person who will not get up and go out and and press forward in life, break into new territory, always has an excuse of why they can't. There's a lion in the streets. I can't go outside today. When other people are out there slaying lions. 
I like what one person said. They said, I've analyzed people who do things and people who don't do things. And I've come to this conclusion. The difference is the people who do things do things. So this guy's trying to blame Jesus or the landowner for being the reason that he did not take risks. Because I was afraid of you. Because you're a mean boss. and I'm afraid. But his Lord answered and said to him, you are wicked because you've called me evil when I'm good. And you are lazy because you're blaming me for your lack of productivity. You knew that I reap where I have not sown. You know I delegate. And gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to at least have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming. I would have received back my own with interest. In other words, he's saying, look, you could have done at least something with the little that I've given to you. You could at least volunteer in the church. If you're not going to take the kingdom Monday through Saturday out there, you know, do something around the church. You know, quit canceling in the nursery when it's your turn to rotate through. He that's faithful in the little will be made ruler over much. People in the Bible, they said there's a bunch of people not getting food. And seven men said, we will pass out food to the widows. And two of them became evangelists. One was the first martyr who did miracle signs and wonders. The other one became an evangelist who had four virgin daughters who prophesied because they were faithful in passing out food to old ladies in the kingdom of God. If you want God to use you, don't be unfaithful in the small things. I thank God for the men that come here every Sunday morning and set up all these chairs and set up all this equipment, do all this kind of stuff every Sunday morning. And I get reports from them of dreams they've had, visions they've had, people they've led to the Lord. God is moving in their life because they are faithful to the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying you could at least do the smallest thing, and he didn't. So let's see what happens. And this is what I don't want happening to you. Then he would receive one talent. Oh, let's go to the next passage. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He gave the talents to the guy who was taking risks. He took the giftings that he had given this one person and literally gave them over to the person who was taking risks and producing. Wouldn't you, if you were the manager of a company and you have this person investing your goods and making more, this person taking risks and making more, this person sitting there doing nothing and blaming you for it, what would you do with the money you put into his hands? I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take my money out of this investment banker's hands who's doing nothing with it and give it to this person over here who's taking risks in the market the money market and getting me a return i want to give it to the risk taker who's producing and listen jesus is saying this is the way the kingdom of heaven works you can't keep giving in to fear i like one brother i was just reading about this guy who got called into jury duty and he was in jury duty and there was a man sitting there in a wheelchair And he walked up to him and said, I'd like to pray for you that God would heal you. And he just shares the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of God with him a little bit. And that right there, right there in the middle of, you know, the the pool of people that are waiting to be called up uh, for jury duty. And the guy in the wheelchair said, this is in the Heaven Invades Earth book, which is available for you for free. Uh, If you're a member of this congregation, I bought 120 books called When Heaven Invades Earth. And uh, you, you, it's, it's good reading. It'll help you open up your belief system a little wider to these things I'm preaching today. And in that book, you'll read this story. And the guy in the wheelchair says, 
what if nothing happens? And the kid said, he was a college student, said, what if something does? And he prayed for the man, and the man stood up out of that wheelchair. Now, here is a young kid taking a risk. Do you know I took a huge risk when I started this church? Do you know I started this out of my living room? Do you know that when I came out of my prayer time and said to my wife, God told me to start a church, she about packed her bags and ran home to mama. Because she had a bunch of friends who planted churches and they lost their shirt. They're divorced because of the stress on the marriage. Uh, and these are people who had a 7,000 member church backing them up, money to support them for a year, uh, team members to go with them, analyze the region to go to. I didn't do any of that. We had no money, I had no buddy, I had no backing, God just said do it. I took a year sabbatical, the Lord told me to do that, and during that year sabbatical, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to plant a church. And so I took the little money I had saved up uh, and, and made a postcard. I'm not an advertiser, I don't know how to make a postcard. I made a postcard, it was, you know, mediocre, got a school rented over in Poway, put out the postcard, and people actually came. And the, and, and the thing that, the thing that, that amazed me the most is some of them stayed. I'm serious. Listen. I know. Listen. This is what my wife said to me a few Sundays into it. She said, you need to stop saying, wow, I'm surprised you came back. It doesn't, it doesn't come off well. You have to understand, my knees were knocking like this when I stepped out to plant a church from scratch. But it was because God said, John, come walk on the water with me. And now 10 years later, here we are financing missionaries all over, all over the world, financing and uh, supporting orphans all over the world. Hundreds of people have gotten saved through this church. I have the greatest leadership team I've ever been with in Christendom. I love you and I love this congregation. God is just beginning to do supernatural things in here. We have just begun. And all because I took a risk. My wife's neck started loosening up at about year five. I took a big risk. Do you love this family? Do you love being here? Do you love this church? I love it. I like what uh, Bruce said to me today. He plays the bass. He said, this isn't church. He said, this is just life. We're just, we're just living life together. Such a fresh, wonderful, life-giving atmosphere here. Because I took a chance. Okay, so, because I'm a preacher, I have to do this. I'm going to make an acrostic out of risk, and I'm going to preach this very quickly. Because the next couple of Sundays, Mark is going to share the pulpit. He's a, uh, the associate pastor. He's on the preaching team. He teaches better than I do. And he's going to talk about um, what unites us, the power of the kingdom flows through being united. And then he's going to talk about what divides us so that this church does not derail because God is about to use this church regionally and who knows beyond that. He's about to do some great things through this body. And so Mark, is, Mark pioneered a church out of a living room in Canada and went to a thousand people, signs, miracles, and wonders. It was, it was on the national news in Canada. It was written up in the newspaper. He was interviewed. It was a powerful church moving forward and it split right down the middle. And he's going to talk about some of the things that can split a church that's on the move. 
So you're interested to hear what Mark has to say over the next couple Sundays? Great. So one person, they'll, they'll be here. Okay, there you go. So let me hurry up and get my acrostic of risk out of the way so you can hear stuff next Sunday. Number one, what does it mean to risk? Number one, R, is to reach beyond what you've done before. Do not relax and rest in your accomplishments of the past. Look at this passage. The same guy that we just read about that got stoned possibly to death said this. But one thing I do, he just listed all of his accomplishments in the previous passages up to this point in, in Philippians chapter 3. And after he, he lists all of his accomplishments, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, most people read that and they teach and preach talking about forgetting the bad things. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I'm forgetting all the things I've accomplished in life because today's a new day. He says, I forget them. I don't brag about them. I don't share it with people. I forget what I've done in the past. And I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is the proper posture in the kingdom of God. Reaching forward the things that are ahead of you. I like this uh, illustration of missionaries and circus performers. This is written by a missionary. He says, I was trying to find insurance for a vehicle I was considering buying. One company had been recommended, recommended to me having the best rates, so naturally I thought I would check them out. The rates were excellent, and while the saleswoman was taking down all the pertinent information about me, she asked my occupation. I told her I am a missionary speaker. She responded, oh no, I'm sorry, Mr. Zumwalt, uh, but our company does not insure circus performers or missionaries. I, I didn't know how to respond. What an odd juxtaposition of imagery. Those funny people in their spandex pants and missionaries are in the same category. Do I laugh or complain? She assured me that those were not her own feelings. She admired missionaries. It was just company policy. No circus performers or missionaries. When I think of the circus, I always think of the picture of a smiling guy putting his head in a lion's mouth. In essence, missionaries, when they go to the unreached, I'm going to say this to you, you go to your schoolmates, your work associates, your neighbors, your unsafe family members, are walking into the lion's den. And as it is, as it is in the big top, I hear those who are watching whisper to one another, I would never do that. Some of you say, I would never do what Tom Lozano did. You'll never see anybody come to Christ. The most important thing under heaven, and it's your great commission. It is your commission from your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Go! And preach the gospel to everybody you know. We need a renewed breed of risk takers. For today, when most mission agencies and many missionaries are content to stay where the gospel has already been proclaimed, God has called us to go still further where the name of Christ has not yet been preached. Rather than continue to work where other men have established a foundation. Frontier missionaries are risk takers, going to places they have been locked away from the gospel for thousands of years. We need apostles who will take, who will risk it all, like C.T. Studd, who went to China. Though he was today, and today's standards would have been a millionaire, he sold everything he had and went out with nothing in his pockets, trusting in his God alone. He staked his career and his fortune. In his later years, as health failing, penniless, doctors refusing to permit him to go, his mission agency refusing to send him, yet 
told by God to go C.T. Stud once should Stud once more staked all on obedience to God, a gambler for God. He joined ranks with the great gamblers of our faith, Abraham and Moses, all the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. He exemplified the true heart and zeal of apostolic Christianity, men and women that have risked, gambled with their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stud with solemn resolution proclaimed, gentlemen, God has called me to go and I will go. I will blaze the trail, though my grave may only become a stepping stone that younger men and women may follow. The more I think about it, I like being in the circus. Often missionaries feel like they are on the flying trapeze, throwing themselves across the chasm of faith and finances, hoping there are those who will catch them on the other side. Or like the higher wire balancing act, where the father ends up carrying his family on his shoulders. Missionaries risk everything that is dear and near to them to go where Christ has told them to go. These are not ordinary people. By all worldly standards, they may well be insane. I think that Jesus is asking this generation to be different from normal, to gamble it all, risk everything. It is not a time to hedge our bet. It is a time to lay it all on the altar. He that shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel shall find it, Jesus said. C.T. Studd asked the question, and it still stands. Are gamblers for gold so many, and gamblers for God so few? Are you willing to step out and risk your reputation, your position, your money, your friendships for Christ? Are you doing what God said to do? Maybe it's, you know, let's reduce it down from people going to other countries and giving their life for Christ or being stoned to death. How about just writing that song, writing that book, prophesying in church, singing a special, being part of the worship team, witnessing to your friend, lest they end up going to hell because you were afraid that they were going to be offended, that you suggest that maybe their sins need to be forgiven. In this age, in this era where it's politically incorrect to suggest there's only one way to heaven, are you going to pull back and be politically correct, sabotage your destiny and be bored in the kingdom of God? And see, nobody's life changed around you. I want to say, not in this church. We are a kingdom church. We are risk takers. We sacrifice for him who sacrificed for us. You know, let's boil it down just to something as simple as this. Maybe this will fit a little better. I remember Heather, our worship leader. She's anointed, isn't she? The girl can sing. And the girl is anointed. But she had never written a song. And I remember Mark and I suggesting to her, you know what, you need to start writing songs. Oh, no, I don't write songs. I've never written songs. And then we said, open yourself up to God. So she did, and God gave her a song. And it was incredible. And now we sing a whole host of her songs here at the church. And uh, and uh, then the senior pastor of Rancho Bernardo Presbyterian Church came to our church about a month ago. And he was a little trepidatious coming here. He said, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if you guys were going to be swinging on chandeliers and rolling down the aisle. And, and he goes, I didn't know if John was about to go off and do some Pentecostal thing, you know, whatever that might be. <laughs> and he said, and as I was standing there kind of nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, you know, he said, I was standing there and all of a sudden Heather started singing one of her songs that she wrote. And she said, he said it was like he was sitting right 
right there in the center with a man with a blue shirt and the glasses right there. Hello. She, he was sitting right there. So watch out. Here it comes. He said, I was standing there and he said, all of a sudden, a wave of God's presence came over me. And he said, I had to sit down or I was about to be slain in the spirit or fall over like you Pentecostal people do. And he said, it would not have been well for my church to have heard that I was slain in the spirit. He said, so I sat down and he said for about 10 minutes, he said, I almost had to tell God to pull back because I could not handle any more of his presence. And then he said to me, I learned that I need to have these experiences in my life with God. And it all came out because the worship leader of this church decided to reach out beyond where she had been before. And look what happened. I like this uh, email she wrote to somebody in this congregation who just emailed her recently with a song she wrote and said, Heather, would you analyze this song for me? I love Heather's email back. It says, I had to look at your lyrics and music to see what else I could suggest. Now she's become a songwriter extraordinaire. I'm looking forward to hearing some of your other songs. You clearly know how to write a song. I used to feel somewhat discouraged about writing songs. I'd be like, God, why should I write a song that's been written a thousand times before, only better? And then I realized that God is creativity. There's no limit to his expression and beauty. And so why shouldn't he have a billion songs written about his love? And the great thing is that only I can write from the creativity he's put in my heart and only you can write what he has given you. She's at a whole new level. Do you know that King Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs? Could you imagine if King Solomon spoke one proverb and said, well, I've done that. And we have the whole book of proverbs. What happened with Bruce Humphreys? And Heather. Heather reached out beyond where she had been before. Bruce Humphreys reached out beyond where he was before. And both of them asked God, point number two, and that was they asked God to do something they had never seen before. Point two of risk. I invite God to do what you haven't seen before. I want to ask us to stop and pray that right now. I'm not done with this risk, but let's just stop and pray. Can we pray that together right now? Let's ask God to do something in this church that we've never seen before. You are the church, not two hours on Sunday. I'm talking about seven days a week, 24 hours a day, us. Let's ask him. Father, in this church, we are asking you, God of heaven and earth, we haven't seen anything yet. We are just a little BB on this planet. We are so limited so far in what you can do when you flex your muscles. Father in heaven, we are asking you, we're inviting you to do things we have never seen before. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Look at this verse. I love this verse. Look and be amazed. You will be astounded what I am about to do. For I'm going to do something in your own lifetime that you will have to see to believe. That was a Habakkuk, a man of God, crying out to God, just like we did. And this was God's response to him. And I believe it's his response to any individual that is hungry enough to cry out to God saying, I want to see more. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I believe we experience as much of God as we want. I believe God's manifestation in your life is equal to your hunger. It really is. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
shall be filled. You can't fill yourself. Only God can fill you. Our part is to hunger and thirst. His part is to fill. And if you're not hungry, ask God to create hunger in you because he's the creator of the hungry too. The hunger and the hungry. You know, there's a gal in our congregation. She's new to our church. Very trepidatious. And uh, a few weeks ago, she came up and said, I need to ask you some questions about this speaking in tongues thing. And she was really kind of nervous and kind of sheepish. And, and I said, OK, well, tell you what, here's a little booklet. We have a booklet back there on speaking in tongues or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a lot more than speaking in tongues. But we believe in all of it. We believe in all of it. We just believe that it's still for today and people are doing it. So, you know, excuse us while we experience a lot of God. More of God. Like one brother said, well, I don't believe in healing today, and I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I don't believe in prosperity. And I said, brother, man, we do not need to argue. I wish, I wish, I wish, and I pray that you would break into all that God has for you. But listen, you don't have to, but we don't need to be divided. Listen, I will worship God healthy. You worship Him sick. I will worship Him speaking in other tongues, and you can worship Him not. And I will worship him prosperous and you worship him poor. But let's worship him together, brother. Now, I didn't say that arrogantly. I really realized he's unbudging. He's not going to move into these things and it should not divide us. I'm not going to be superior in my attitude, but don't you be superior in yours either. Thinking that I'm some kind of a glory hound. I like what one pastor said just recently. He said, some people think that when you have this, the blessings of God come into a church, it's just a big bless me club. And he says... And your point would be, he said, I want to be the president of that club. He said, when God's pouring out the blessings, like through a guest speaker, he said, don't think I'm going to stand up here in my pastoral duty and help you to the front of the line. He said, I'm going to be elbowing my way all the way up to the front of that line to get what God has to give through that speaker, or through that minister. He said, but we give everything away that we receive. That's the difference. Because you can't give away what you don't have. And you're not going to have much if you're not crying out to God for more. Gosh, I'm preaching good today. I'm kidding. Not really, but it's the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, I know I'm an idiot. So whenever God does something great, my whole family, they said this one time, they were all sitting around the living room. I wasn't there. And they all just, you know, family talk. And they said, who in our family says the dumbest things and puts their foot in the mouth more than anybody else? All the children, my five brothers and sisters and my mom, all the same time said, Johnny. Okay, so I know if I ever say anything that's worth anything, it's God. Okay, I'm very clear about my limitations. And there are many. And Mark reminds me of them often. So anyway, this gal asked me about speaking in other tongues. She went home, she read the book, she came back, she handed it to me last Sunday and said, there's the book, thank you very much. And uh, I said, oh, okay, well, how are you doing this? She goes, uh, I understand it now, okay, and, and I want it. I said, great, would you like us to pray for you? No, I think I'll just grow into these things and as I move forward. And uh, I thought, should I push here? I said, you know, the Bible says that people can lay hands on you and you can receive the gift of speaking in tongues. And she kind of looked at me a little bit. And I said, would you like us to do that for you? She said, I didn't expect this. She said, okay. So I brought her in here, found a ministry team. They prayed for her. And this is the email I got from her just this week. It says, 
Dear Pastor John, I wanted to share with you my amazing blessing today. I spoke in tongues for 10 minutes straight in the car today on the freeway. I feel so blessed and so loved by him. I was praying that he would show me, that he would fill me with the spirit. Mrs. Fields' cookies didn't fit right there. (laughs) That he would fill me with Mrs. Fields' cookies. (laughs) Oh, oh. Oh, Lord, we just love this place. That he would help me break free of my shyness and I would be able to praise him out loud. And before I knew it, all of a sudden my voice grew strong and fast and my mind was attached to my heart. And he was with me, listening to my heart. And I was listening to the sounds of my voice change into into this beautiful language. I was speaking to him from my heart and all my prayers came pouring out. There were things I told him I forgot about and things I repented for. And he took all my worries and all my prayers up to heaven. It was seeing the living God. I am truly overwhelmed. I love him so much. And I wanted to share with you my experience in capital letters. Thank you for all your prayers and all the others who have become my family. My heart is overjoyed. Thank you, Pastor. How cool is that? Woo! Oh! Oh! She might be here today, but I promise I wouldn't point her out and embarrass her. But she's just come to this church just a few weeks ago. And this is already happening for her. You can't tap God dry. So, thirdly, is surrender. And I've got to wrap this up. But it's good stuff today, isn't it? Yeah. Surrender in a way that you never have before. I remember when God, I was in my, my, my living room and uh, praying for you about six weeks ago. And I felt this burden come up to identify every illness and sickness in this church and drive it out. And I'm, I thought, we've got to know what we're dealing with in God's body and drive this unclean stuff out of God's people. And I wasn't sure if it was me as your pastor or if it was God putting this on my heart. And uh, But I decided I'm going to take a risk. And I came up publicly. It was risky. I even asked the prayer team on Wednesday night in the leadership, are you guys with me if I step out? Because, you know, we could identify. I mean, it's easier just to pretend like it's not there. Let's not talk about the pink elephant in the living room. Let's not talk about the diabetes and the, and the uh, chronic illnesses and diseases and the, and the cancers and, and other, other uh, uh, illnesses in our congregation. Let, you know, let's, just, let's just keep it all quiet. Let's pray for people and then let's see if something happens and then we'll talk about it. But let's not list everything. That could be overwhelming. It was a risk. I've never done that before. I reached out beyond where I've ever been before as a pastor 
and reached out and came up to you publicly and said, if you have a chronic illness or disease, write it down. We're going after it. And then a couple of days later, Gary, and I know some of you have heard this, but it's worth repeating. Gary uh, Mancini, an elder in the church, came to our elders breakfast on Tuesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning. Mark and Gary and I meet to pray over you and to talk about you. And Gary said, the Holy Spirit was on me this morning. And he told me something I think we need to do. We need to write down every chronic illness and disease in our church body. Now, he wasn't here when I told you guys that. I don't know where he was, but he, he wasn't here. I had never done it before. He had never done it before. And the Holy Spirit confirmed to me, John, it was me you heard in your prayer time. And you stepped out on the water. And I confirmed it through one of your elders. And do you know what? People are starting to get healed. You see, it's risk-taking. I could have looked like an idiot, a fool. Let's, let's record all the sicknesses and diseases. And nobody's getting healed and the list just keeps growing. That could, that could have been really bad. Depressing, discouraging, frustrating. Took a risk. And it's starting to happen. And so we need to surrender. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. That's not an overused scripture. That's the key to the kingdom right there. That is the key to advancing God's kingdom in your life. You've got to submit to him. uh, Yield to him. Say, God, I'm totally yours. Whatever. That is when the enemy will flee from you. You can't be resisting God with your will and being prideful and rebellious and stubborn and expecting the spirit of God to flow through your life. It doesn't work that way. Surrendering is like uh, when I was in the backyard of my son, Elliot, and he was just learning how to bat. And, and he was missing the ball and missing the ball. And I said, son, here, let me here. You just stand here. Let me get behind you and I'll hold the bat. And, and he's like, you know, doing that. I said, just relax. Just rest. Let me have the bat. And he's, you know, trying to. I said, stop. Just stop. I said it more kindly than that. And uh, and I said, let me use your body to hit the ball with. And as I would turn, come back to swing to hit the ball, he was still kind of trying to do it with me. I said, just completely relax. Yield to me. Surrender. Let me have your body. And he completely relaxed, and I felt it. When that ball came, bam! Over the roof of the house. And he got to feel what it was like to do something supernatural. It's Father's Day. Dads can do anything. And that's what it's like for us to surrender to God. See, we have reduced Christianity down to commitment. And that's why it's a struggle. It's not commitment, it's surrender. Commitment is just a byproduct to being surrendered to God. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do, I only say what I hear Him say. Jesus was completely surrendered to God. And so God could flow through him in any way he wanted. And that's why so many miracles happened. And then number four, the last point, is to keep doing it. This pattern, family of God, keep doing it. These three things. Please, family of God, children of God, brother and sister, keep reaching beyond what you've done before. Or you're going to get bored And you're going to be sucking air and just existing rather than experiencing dynamic, exciting things 
every day of your life until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Uh, okay, Gary. Yeah, okay, wait a minute. 